Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Jeff Essery. And I'm Joe Rawls. Today we are very excited to welcome a special guest onto the show. And you may have seen his breakdowns on YouTube or Twitter or heard him on Broncos Country Tonight on KOA. Um, The one and only Tim Jenkins. Um, Tim's a former NFL QB and now a QB coach. And he's graciously accepted our invitation to come onto the podcast. So, Tim, welcome to the show. I'm pumped up. This has been uh it's been a whirlwind starting to break down guys and kind of see what it turned into. But honestly, it's uh I mean it's been it's been a blast. It's interacting with you guys have been fun. I mean, Joe's always got great takes, and then there's always like he's always got like a bunch of analytics too, which blow my mind. So I have to like research all that stuff. But it's been it's been good because I think you get new perspectives and I appreciate you guys having me on, man. You guys have a it's cool to see how everyone reacts to you guys and, and, and I'm excited to be here. Perfect. Yeah, we're excited to to dive into the conversation, and and you certainly made a splash with your your breakdowns and and stuff on on YouTube and um, also on Twitter. And so, yeah, it's been kind of a long time coming. We're excited to to finally get you on here and and talk QBs. We're you know we've got a lot uh, to talk through, but before that, we we do just want to just give us a quick rundown of your background and what are you up to these days. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was a very average high school player and uh, barely started my senior year. I thought I was like, I was getting ready to go to CSU and just like study accounting. I was done with football and then a 
obscure school that I've never heard of. Fort Lewis College offered me a scholarship and uh, my family had actually fallen on some hard times. So it worked out and I was able to go down there and play football. And, um, you know, I went from like a 130 pound kid to, you know, 220 and I was ready to play. And I guess I got the like testosterone at the right moment. Right. So I uh, <laughs> uh, played four years there and then was lucky enough to get a quick, you know, quick cup of coffee in the NFL and, um, you know, study under, you know, Brian Schottenheimer in that West Coast system, which actually, you know, it's just amazing what you learn when all of a sudden football is your job versus when you have to pretend to go to class like in college. Um, so, you know, did that, went up to the CFL, was signed during, they have like an expanded roster period. So went up there for a little bit and came home and was getting ready to sell insurance. Like everyone who uh, doesn't work out in the NFL, you get ready to go deal insurance. And uh, I went to Strasburg, Colorado, which is middle of nowhere, uh, basically Kansas and did a quarterback lesson for like $10, right? I spent 30 on gas, did 10. So you can tell the kind of businessman I am, right? A negative 20. Uh, so you didn't, but, do the, you didn't do the accounting degree. I, I yeah, I obviously <laughs> didn't finish that. But, uh, you know, I, I got hooked, uh, you know, and this kid went from being a backup freshman to a starter on JV, which no one else on, you know, none of your listeners care about. But for me, it was like oh, cool. That's very seeing cool. a kid's confidence, yeah. especially in today's day and age, grow so much it was i mean it was addicting and then started doing that and you know shoot now we have you know four locations two in colorado one in phoenix one in houston um and you know i think i think we're kind of our you know tiny company is a testament to what happens when you actually you know treat people correctly and care about your clients and um are honest with people and you know we've been lucky enough to grow so um and then ben you know, Albright dragged me into uh, Broncos country. I had no idea that this whole thing existed. And, and then, you know, I was doing the radio calls and I was talking about a lot of stuff that I just like say, and a lot of people were tweeting and saying like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you talk concepts. So then I was like, okay, I'll just shoot a, you know, we have all the software from all the pre-draft stuff we do and all the training of kids. So I was like, you know, and we're lucky, right? We have interns who break up clips for me. So I just started shooting the video segments and, um, you know, a, a lot of people enjoyed it. And my biggest goal with it is I hope it makes people really enjoy what they're watching on Sunday more and start to maybe see kind of, you know, oh, wow, this guy threw a pick, but, you know, there's more to it. Or he threw a touchdown when in reality it was a horrible decision. So hopefully some fans are, are getting something out of it and, um you know, at first I really liked the Twitter battles. Those were fun. Um, honestly, it's like exhausting now. I'm like ready. I, I, I told my wife the other night, like the amount of times I get on Twitter and my mentions are like terrible. I'm like, this isn't healthy to read. So I'm starting a new thing, positive Twitter. I will only interact with someone if it's a positive thing or like a real question I'll answer. I'm like done with the like, uh, and, and, it, and it's funny because it wore me out in what like two weeks i was tired of it so i couldn't imagine <laughs> the people that do it all the time so i'm just i mean I, i'm it's been fun i'm happy people are enjoying it the like comments are funny like when people are like hey man you know what what do you mean too high and those are fun and i really think hopefully you know someone out there understands the game better from it and and then they just enjoy football more which is you know i don't want to sound corny but I mean, I love the game of football. I think it's 
one of the greatest games on planet earth. And hopefully it makes it more enjoyable for, for someone who just gets to watch it on Sunday versus do it every day. Love it. Love it. And just for context, we've been doing that, that QB battle and tearing it up on Twitter for the last five years in Broncos country. Oh, so I could only imagine, I, man. It, I could it is imagine. exhausting. Uh, it is exhausting. Now we're in draft uh, season, so it gets even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I'm worried about when I start releasing these videos of people like getting offended or getting like, you know, they're so invested in these guys, especially college fan bases, but you know, the reality is, is I think everyone, like, listen, I want every quarterback to succeed. I know what it's like to go out there, give it everything and get fired. It sucks. It's the worst feeling in the world. There's no one who wants these kids to do better than me. Cause I remember getting back home after thinking you're an NFL quarterback and thinking to yourself, my life's over and you're 23. It's not like a positive experience. So I think, you know, a lot of people want these kids to succeed, but you know, it's trying to give your honest opinion is, it's hard to balance those two things, but so we'll see what happens. <laughs> I think uh, one of the things I learned last draft season is no matter when you loved a guy, there's always somebody who loved him before you. And if you yeah. criticize him, he is going to let you know how wrong you are, no matter what. <laughs> uh, but, but I, yeah. I know. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just, I'm weirded out by the whole receipts thing too, that happens on Twitter where it's yeah. like, dude, I would rather have someone give me their real opinion then half it to to worry about what people are going to say a year from now like you know and we'll we'll dive into it with luck but listen man there's there's some things that he's got to do next year or i'm going to shift from saying he's a top 10 guy to here's where he's at and a lot of it has to do with whether these kids grow or not and you know like listen all you can do is look at what you look at for me it's tape right because and and i'm starting to get a little more familiar with the analytics side of it and i'm excited about it um, but all you can do is look at what you look at as your predictor and then do your best. But man, the world, like everyone would rather stay on the sideline and then three months later be like, you were wrong. And it's like, that's cool, but you still watch. So we all win. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, so tagging I, onto that. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Well, and I was just going to say kind of as far as Locke goes, because I know you and I are in a, in a way, I've been a lot more critical of Locke than I think you are. But just like you just said, I'm definitely rooting for him. It's just, yeah. it's, there's, there's things that I see that's just hard. And again, watching your videos has really helped me to see kind of some of the why and see some of the progress. Mm -hmm. Like the eye manipulation, I kind of took it for granted how big a deal that really was until I started to see that you were talking about it. So that I thought was really cool because you're right. Like going back over his first couple games of this year, you just don't see it at the same level by like no. that you do at the end. And it's, it's one of those things that it does give you a lot of encouragement to your point. Like I get a lot of the, Oh, well, Joe's just a hater. And it's like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a hater because I, I am very skeptical, but not because I'm rooting against him. And I've had that yeah. conversation with a few people lately. It's like, man, I'm happy to be wrong. Like I was wrong on Garrett Bowles. Like I have no problem being wrong on Garrett Bowles. Cause now he's an all pro. So. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of your stuff is fair. Like everything I've seen from you is is based in the stats and analytics, which like, there's no debating. It's not like he was productive, yeah. right? Like he, he had, he had games where he was productive, but it's not like over the long haul, he was productive. And I think, you know, I think we're going to jam into, I think we'll jump into it. But, uh, you know, to me, it's for me, year one in Shermer's type offense, because that's what I think gets lost in the discussions. And this is what is so hard for me when I see people with like the, you know, there, there's a guy 
I got to give him a shout out. His name's Dwayne, and he like he's in every thread I'm on, and I mean he's he's relentless, and I appreciate someone who is relentless. I think it's awesome. So I love Dwayne. He disagrees with me on everything, but I actually love him. Um, but there's a drastic difference in what Herbert and me and you talked about it a little, Joe, on Twitter of the drop variability of what Herbert's being asked to do mm-hmm. versus Drew, and that's where for me I think specifically for me with drew Locke, hey year one what do i want to see i want to see all the like eye manipulation psl decisions that has to grow if you were to ask me what he has to do in 2021 for me to be a believer is he has to have a 25 and 10 year right he has to have 25 touchdowns and 10 picks yeah that's bottom line it has to now result in production if it's not then we need to revisit this whole situation I just happen to believe that what I was seeing at the end of the year is going to lead him to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a rational standpoint to say, listen, what has he done so far that's going to make you think that? I just, knowing what I knowing what I know about that West Coast heavy verbiage system compared to what they were asking Herbert to do. And again, I'm not predicting that Herbert's going to suck next year. I would predict, though, that Herbert's drop variability is going to have to go up. Or it's going to look Cam Newton-ish, which is come in year one, light the world on fire. And you guys hear it all the time. How many ESPN analysts have you heard say they figured him out? Mm-hmm. That's not real. D coordinators don't figure him out. They just sat there and realized, dude, they run nine concepts. So they go into a they go into a game with coverages for first and second down. And they have a trap coverage for every single third down call. And if an offensive coordinator doesn't push him to make that next jump, we see the figured him out narrative when in reality, it's just right. They just now have a game plan versus everyone thought Tyrod Taylor was going to start for the chargers all year. Mm-hmm. So every work you did as a D coordinator all off season was for Tyrod Taylor. Justin Herbert comes in, they run a system that, you know, is a little different. Everyone's trying to zoom install stuff, which is the same thing that, you know, I've said it a ton, but zoom preschool for my four-year-old, he just dunks on the basketball hoop over my shoulder it's just you know it's tough so that's where i think the discussion is so much more nuanced in terms of comparing what say joe burrow's doing you know teddy bridgewater other guys that are in year one and the thing about teddy bridgewater that makes me so mad you know we have pj out there is everyone says hey teddy bridgewater did it year one no he didn't he's running sean payton's system in new orleans joe brady's in new orleans goes to lsu and comes back do you think Joe Brady is sitting there saying, hey, Sean Payton's good, but I'm going to rename this stuff? No. It's the same exact system. So that's where, like, Teddy, yeah, he's with a new team. But to act as if Teddy ever had the, like, oh, man, I don't know this play moment. I mean, Teddy's been running it. He's and then not to mention the guy he was asking questions to last season, a pretty good player, Drew Brees. I wouldn't mind asking him a couple questions. So I think that's where it's just so nuanced in this – whole thing and you know that's what's hard is and it's hard with 240 characters when people like you know hey well why could why could you know joe burrow do it well there's a lot that goes into it i just don't have 94 tweets in me right now to explain it but you know i think a lot of it has to do with that drop variability and i also think that a lot of it has to do with you know why we hear so often the kid did well and then while wow, something changed, they figured him out. I really don't think it's anything other than he didn't take that next step. And I think we are trying to throw Drew Locke into 
hey, you're either going to be good at this or bad at this, and we're going to bet on you next year. And then next year, if you were to struggle again, I think you'd see the Broncos. I don't think you'd hear any of the rhetoric you hear now internally. I think you'd hear them saying, yeah, we're, we're going to, this is going to be a quarterback competition. So we'll dig a little bit more into that because I really want to circle back on a couple of the things that you talked about, particularly on what Drew's being asked to do. Yeah. Um, and even compared to what he did in 2019. But before, I kind of want to just lay a groundwork and just get your thoughts a little bit on um, what you look for in a young quarterback. And you talked about kind of that. I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit of, you know, first 16 games, it's the basics, it's eye manipulation. And then yeah. it's putting that into practice and then seeing the production. Um, but give us a quick, like, what steps are you looking for from a young NFL quarterback to indicate, like, what indicators are you looking for on tape that somebody can play in this league? And then from a time frame perspective, what does that typically look like? Like, how long do you hang on to a guy and yeah. hope that he figures it out? So I think, well, one, it goes into, like, what kind of system. But let's talk Bronco specific. Let's talk, like, West Coast, right? So in West Coast, the biggest thing for me, if I'm looking at a quarterback year one, is one – is he making all the correct side decisions? Because a lot of the two-by-two two West Coast system is built off of a single high side and a two-high side, right? So, hey, two high, we're working the right, let's just say. You know, I, I broke down that subway concept where it's double slant, mm -hmm. slant arrow. A lot of two-by-two two West Coast is built off of that. So that would be the number one thing. Hey, are we getting to the right side a majority of the right time? The next thing I want to see a young quarterback do is are we getting to our man zone check? So – you guys see it all the time, right? Back is outside. Why do they do that? If a linebacker goes with him, it's man. If the corner bumps, it's zone. They bring him back in. So after that motion, are we getting to the right man-to-man? -man? Hey, we have a rub here. Like a lot of three-by-one stuff is built with a rub and then something else, right? So, hey, I got my, my man beater with the rub, but I've got my deep hank behind it and my circus route if it's a zone, right? So, okay, that's the next step. Are we getting there? And then that final step is – once we've got all this down, are we then potentially in a situation like you did in Carolina where, hey, I've got, I've got slot post on against cover three. Horrendous look. But we've got it paired with a backside in. Am I going to take my eyes at the backside in, influence the safety, and then throw the post? Those are the things that – those would be the three things that in a West Coast system I want to see them do. Just to touch on it really quick, if he was in like an RPO-heavy – I don't want to say first read because that's like that's like two watered down. But is he in an RPO heavy, strictly pure progressions? We're bringing you something that you ran in college. Then I want to see production year one. Like Kyler Murray, he needs to produce year one. Cliff Kingsbury literally built everything. Basically, what I'm going to blank on the guy's name, but what he's uh, Riley's right at Oklahoma. Lincoln oh, Riley's yeah, right yeah, at Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all tailored from what he ran at Oklahoma, and then he put his own version on it that that he was doing at Tech, right? It's not like now they've evolved that thing to where there's some really great stuff that even Shermer ripped off late in the season that I love to see Pat Shermer do because, you know, I've said it a bunch, but innovative Pat Shermer, that's the chick you want to marry, right? He's <laughs> When he gets into that realm, he's fun. When he gets into the old school, like, let's – you know, let's just run zone boot. That's not as much fun. So um, that's what I would tell you I would look for. To me, the fair time frame, honestly, is two full years of starting, right? So year one, you want to see the eye growth, all the other things we talked about. Year two, you want to see the production jump. If you don't start to see the production jump, you need to say, hey, man, we got to move on. That's what I would do 
if I was a GM. Um, and that's why I'm so hard on the, just give them another, just give them one more year. I understand the variables of, is the 2022 class as good as 2021? Like I understand everything a GM would have to look at. If I'm an OC and you draft a rookie quarterback and I'm Pat Shermer, I'd probably, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd ask my wife to punch me in the face. Like it'd be <laughs> tough. Like that's just not what, that's not what I would want. But again, there's a reason coaches and GMs all have different thought processes. And that's something that I think is another dynamic. And, you know, we just hired a new GM. So, you know, shoot, man, I don't know how that all shakes out. But if I was Pat Shermer and, you know, I grew up in that West Coast system, that's, I would be pounding the table for Drew one more year. I would obviously change a lot of his footwork. Uh, I've, I've hashed that out a bunch, but, mm. and I would look for the production jump. And if we don't see it, you'd have to be honest about, let's move on. The nice thing, I don't have a ton invested in him. He's still on a second, second round rookie deal. Yep. So this next year would be huge. Um, but hopefully that answers it in terms of like the time frame. Yeah. I, I would, it's, it, it would, it would really be those two full years starting. And I know that's kind of, it makes this Denver Broncos situation specifically easier on my opinion um, because he only had four or five games in 2019. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I mean, I just think realistically with a kid in the West coast system, that's what you'd want to see uh, for me to really feel comfortable with him. Help us with one thing. And I think this is something that, you know, um, you know, an amateur like myself, I try to watch as much tape as I can and, and learn as much as possible. But I think, you know, guys like me and people in our in, in our sphere, we potentially mix things up in terms of our language when we talk about reads or this is a first read guy or whatever. Yep. So talk to me about what you just mentioned there of the things that quarterbacks are being asked to do, because often we don't overlay that onto our evaluation of quarterbacks, I feel like. So when people say, yeah. you know, what like, What's a what's a read? What's what's a first read guy progression? Because yeah. if I'm understanding you correctly, I want to get this right. Is you know what Drew Locke is being asked to do is read concepts, where other guys at times is you know, hey, it's one, two, three. It's yeah, you so go here, go here. Real quick, and so every NFL playbook, no matter who you're going to talk to, there's really three categories. There's pure progression, which is no matter what the look is, it's one, two, three, four. Okay. The only thing that I would cautious, caution you on that is a first read progression guy isn't necessarily a bad thing. Aaron Rodgers, if you were to chart how often he throws a progression one, I would be willing to bet that he's number one in the NFL. Why? Because Aaron Rodgers puts his eyes places and freezes people and then throws the Devontae Adams. And that's what great guys do. Peyton Manning is a huge first progression guy. People get fooled because they put their eyes somewhere, but – Julius Thomas, right, up the post, was always progression one. He just put his eyes here to move the mic. So I would tell you that, honestly, if you were to really break it down, and I would love to do this, I wish I had time, but if you were to break down the greatest guys to ever play the position and how often they threw to their first progression, I would be willing to bet they're all skew higher than, say, Drew Locke even. Because oftentimes it's the kids who put their eyes in number one right away that he gets covered and go to two. So – so one, so there's peer progression, one, two, three, four, no matter what the concept. There's PSL, which is a combination of pre and post snap look, right? We, we lump it all together. Get an idea pre-snap, but confirm post snap. And that's where you're going to say, hey, single high work, you know, hey, work the sluggo down to the pivot against too high, wave off this. We don't want it. And we don't want to show sluggo, work backside, work the fade down to the oaky. So that's like 
kind of how a PSL play would work. Then there's a big alert. That's a three man. So think three by one, right? We did a lot against the chargers, you know, timber is a really popular concept, which is where the two guys outside run, both run five yard ends. And the third guy runs a corner. Everyone runs that in the NFL right now. So that progression is the first under the second under to the corner, one, two, three, but big alert. We're going to take the backside one-on-one and big alert usually is classified. You guys are going to love these serves with Oprah. Oprah means off press or rotation away. Let's work our one-on-one. So if we get off coverage, boom, let's just throw a smoke to Jerry Judy. If we get pressed, throw the nine stop. If you get full rotation away, give him something you like, and let's throw that one-on-one. So that's generally the three layers of concepts. Then you would have to factor in now RPO because it's just so big in today's game. Those are going to be, hey, that's just a single linebacker read. If he comes up, throw the slant. If he stays back, give it. But that would kind of be its own category. You could maybe call it pure progression. Um, but that's generally how these are all laid out um, in an NFL. Like when you see an NFL read sheet, so, hey, we have these 90 concepts we're putting in this week. Here's how we read them. That's a majority of how those veterans will study it. Rookies are just like trying to survive and like looking at the play. So, you know, I got a great, you know, when I was in St. Louis, a really funny thing was these formations are so long, right? You're like, hey, we're going to blast the twins right gun F counter. And you try to spit it out and you get up to the line. And I used to talk with Bradford about this all the time because he would always joke with me during rookie period. I'd get up there and I kind of look to each side and give him a head nod. Because I'm like, listen, I don't know who's motioning, but I'm going to nod at you just in case it's you. I never did anything too like, the, you know, you never want to do anything too big because then if you're wrong, the coaches will know. But if you nod at them and they motion, that's on them, right? <laughs> hey, listen, man, I didn't, I didn't know. So you do that because you just, I mean, at some point you have no idea, right, during rookie camp. I came from an offense that was wristband 47 and go. So, you know, there's all that you know, that kind of stuff that's layered on top of it. But generally in terms of the reads, it's really those three categories. And then you could say RPO is its own thing. Is that something that when you talk through all the complexity of that is, and one of the things that Joe and I have talked a lot about, and this will, let's dig a little bit into Drew Lockett um, here is, you know, Joe and I talked a lot on this show last off season and in this year as well, we watched a you know, pretty much every game of Drew Locke, probably five or six times from um, last year, you know, 2019. Too much, too long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Of 2019. And we really felt that, you know, you had the, it was almost a story of two halves of the season. It was only five games, right? But you had kind of that, um, those first two games where he's just trying to figure things out. There was a little bit of a pivot point in that Kansas City game. And then we started to see some things at the, you know, the Lions game and the Raiders game. It's almost kind of the stuff you're talking about. I mean, I remember seeing him, um, moving a robber so he could throw the um, yeah. deep in and it, it some really impressive stuff that we were like, hey, this is, you know, he's starting to get it. And then it felt like things fell off a cliff at the beginning of 2020. Yeah. And, you know, it, it feels like we're kind of back on that wheel again of, okay, now he's starting to pick it up at the end of the end of 2020 from the stuff that you're talking about. Is that a function? Do you feel like a change of the offense? Did it throw him that much for a loop? The things that he was being asked to do under Scangarello now to Shermer, is it something else? Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So I, you know, I think a, one, I think it's pretty unanimous and everyone's saying that like, Hey, that Miami game on, he looked like a different guy um, versus like before. Right. And even when I went back and watched the tape, like week one, like, you know, that there's a lot of stuff that you saw early on that it was like, this is bad football. 
Um, what I honestly think it is, is a lot of people talk about the game slowing down, right? And I, I, I personally hate that term because it like reminds me of that Kevin Costner movie where he's the pitcher and it like, you know, it's he's in the zone. It's just so stupid. Every time I threw a touchdown in college, I knew right where the sorority girls were, right? Because you wanted to make sure they were excited, you know? So listen, that doesn't happen. What I think does happen for an NFL quarterback, though, is I think at some point they shift from thinking, what does Jerry have on this play? Okay, what does KJ have? Okay, and snapping it to actually just knowing what everybody has and looking at the defense now. And I literally think that's what we saw in week 11 on, was he finally started saying, I'm comfortable here. Let's go ahead and see what they're in. I think that's why – you remember the uh, – I, I talked about in the breakdown, the Week 10 Raiders game where it's clearly man-to-man and he throws it to Royce. I think the difference between Week 10 and Week 17 is he finally stopped looking at our guys and just put with his put his eyes up and said, oh, wow, they're in man. I got this. Let's go to the shallow. And I, I know it sounds simple and stupid when I say it because I kind of make everything a joke, but I there's such a huge thing of taking the step from – thinking about what you guys have to run versus what they have to run. And I honestly, I, I really wish everyone wishes COVID wouldn't happen. Right. But specifically with this, because what we would have had happen in OTAs is he would have had 10 practices of seeing himself on tape doing it, which is so different than watching Daniel Jones do it over zoom. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause every athlete ever, I did it with Sam Bradford, who is one of the most uber-talented quarterbacks. But every time I watch him take a rep, I'm like, I'm better than him, right? Every athlete does it. So Drew Locke watching Daniel Jones make a mistake was thinking, I wouldn't make that. That guy's an idiot. I'm way better than him. That's just what athletes – I mean, why, you guys all watch the Jordan documentary, right? That's Michael way. Jordan, he's a little – like he's – let's say he takes to the next level. But every athlete who ever played has that. You guys have it, right? We all have it. I go out and play turkey bowl. And I watch Aunt Judy throw, and I think I'm better than her. <laughs> of course I am. She's like a principal. Boy, I took that like, personally. Right? I, yeah. I that <laughs> you know? But that's, you know, that's the nature of the beast. So I, I think we saw that progression that I really wish would have happened during OTAs and training camp because I think it would have shifted the narrative because I honestly think it would have been more like week four it clicks. And I think that's a completely different argument and state of mind, not only for fans, but for the front office and everybody and that's just, you know, again, I, I I feel stupid talking about football and wishing COVID wouldn't happen because there's been so much, you know, horrific stuff that's happened to, you know, not only losing lives, but people's business, like everything, oh, yeah. you know. So I feel stupid saying, oh, I wish it wouldn't happen for Broncos OTAs. But just from my perspective and the mistakes that I saw him clean up, I, I wish he would have had that on film experience of throwing to Royce versus doing it week 10. Because he would have done it against the Broncos in an OTA, and then everything's better. One one other part of that too, I think, is that he got hurt in the Pittsburgh game. Do yeah, you think? Do yeah. you think if he? Do you think if he could have stayed? If he would have stayed healthy, and granted, you know, like obviously you can't change that. Do you think it would have clicked earlier? Because he would have. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would have sped that clock up, and and to me, it's not even necessarily the. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's not even so much even those game reps, right? It's, you know, we can't even take the practice ones because there weren't that, you know, listen, uh, you know, there were weeks the Broncos were only Zoom and walkthroughs. Like, that doesn't help a guy's development, you know? And again, that again, I, I, I want to first preface this off of like, I know that football is not the most important thing because I always feel bad saying this stuff. Definitely. But like, listen, that's a big deal yep. to only be Zoom and then walkthroughs and then try to go play in a game. If you're a quarterback who literally doesn't know, you know, and like he had the playbook, but you guys know. There's a difference between a year one guy who's think, think of like really rack your brain What's Granger, I'm going to butcher his name, but what they were trying to do with him last year, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is drastically different and more similar to what he was doing at Mizzou. So it's like, man, he's never seen us playbook like this. And yeah. we're going to expect him to look at the playbook and then take Jerry Judy and those guys to a park and do it right. Like Peyton Manning year one, two, couldn't do that. There's a reason Peyton Manning's Duke camp looked a lot different in year 14, right? Like that was Peyton's offense. I remember watching that documentary on him when he like, you know, had an airplane full of napkins and brought them in and told Adam Gaze what they were doing. Like, let's not cool <laughs> fool ourselves on who was, you know, who was in charge of that team. <laughs> well, and I think because uh, me and Joe Mahoney from My High Report did a like we kind of tried to do an argument of for and against Drew Locke yesterday into today, and one of the things that I became aware of is from uh, John Heath, and he brought up the fact that the Broncos had five thousand five hundred fifty six. 56 snaps from first or second year players, which is 900 more than the second place Bengals. And that's the offense and defense, but yep. but we all know that the offense was the youngest offense in football. So, and again, and I'm not trying to make an excuse for Locke so much, but to hear you just say like for every, for every young player, this was a huge deal. And the yep. Broncos had the youngest offense. So like every single one of those guys was impacted by the fact that COVID was screwing them up. Yeah. Well, and, and Joe, it's, I mean, it's not an excuse. Go look at the Atlanta game. Yeah. I, I, I could pull up. I mean, I don't really want to go back and watch everything again now that I've like doing the Trey Lance breakdowns and everything, but I will. There's probably 30 plays that you could pull up where the receivers in the slot are both running a Hank route and call Pat Shermer, whatever you want. He would never install something like that. So it's, you know, and then now you're Drew Locke. You're sitting there and I got double. What, what do you do? The mistake that he made too often was then he got in a scramble drill and then would compound a bad decision, right? I also think the Broncos receivers are the worst receiver group on planet Earth at scramble drill. Like there's nothing like, you know, and listen, I, you know, I'm talking about Fort Lewis days, but there's nothing like getting chased by a 260 pound guy who wants to kill you and watching your receiver not really run his ass to the sideline. Like you want to talk about when you see Aaron Rodgers, I write on the sideline. It's when Devontae Adams jogs and scramble drill. Because I'm try- someone's trying to break my collarbone and you can't work to the sideline for me. So that's a whole nother thing that we got to unpack with this Broncos offense. Like, I'm not kidding if, you know, and I know, like, it would have been a bad decision and I'm emotional. But the way Tim Patrick gave effort against the Chargers, if it was up to me, I would have fired him. I, I, yeah, I remember, I remember him. being pretty upset when that happened. But I would have fined him his game check, whatever that is. I'd have been like, hey, 200 grand, that's mine. Because – you just don't do that. And then compound it, the tip, it was his guy that made the pick. So imagine if Tim Patrick would have actually cared, right, and hustled back towards the middle 
That ball gets tipped and hits the ground. The Broncos kick a field goal on that drive. Everyone's perception changes. So those are the compounding errors that for me, it's like, and then, right, I'm biased. I play quarterback. So every time I want, you know, yeah, I look at it through a quarterback lens. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you, though, on the Broncos the receivers. When you, yeah, you, when you said that in um, your breakdown, it it clicked for me of, I mean, I completely agree because, I mean, there's a couple tweets that I've got during games calling out Tim Patrick for one. Um, of stopping on a couple routes too yeah. um, when the play breaks down it's you know it's it's pretty clear to see and then you know you compound I think that that tough game that Judy had um, yeah. as well I think that was against the Chargers and so yeah I think it it does I think that's that's probably what you know Broncos country is struggling with to be honest is you know we've had what four years of this five years of this of quarterback you know poor quarterback play and there's been every reason under the sun for why they weren't successful and why Case Keenum didn't work out and why Joe Flacco yeah. didn't work out and all of that. And so um, it's kind of hard to sort the reasons versus excuses, you know, and you have guys that um, you have legitimate reasons why something is the way it is or things aren't progressing. And then you have, you know, what some people see as excuses. And so I think that's that's probably the biggest yeah. tension point. Well, is- valid. And this is what I tell everybody. I, I, I've said this numerous times. I, I could care less what the fans do, and they have every right to be mad. Mm-hmm. If, you spend a, if you spend a second of your time watching a Broncos game or you spend a penny of your money on their gear, you can voice whatever opinion you have. My issue is when the media pushes a narrative yeah. on a kid for no reason other than that they need a click, and I get it, man. I like It's not my – like. You know, I totally get the business nowadays, but it just makes me mad when I hear people say stuff like, you know, everyone got mad at me about the whole cover two thing with the Luke Patterson kid, but it makes me so mad. Don't say he struggles against cover two and then tweet out a clip of cover one. It makes me irate. It started as cover two, but NFL defenses change. Like we got to be able to be honest, have an honest conversation. And when we send out to our fan base, Oh, look, he struggles against cover two. And we send a clip of cover two that's now actually, it's actually trapped cover one with a mic fire. Like, we're just, I honestly think it hurts everybody. I think then they take nobody seriously. And I just think that that's, it's the same way I'm trying to be super honest about me not knowing the analytics side of it. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone who's ever said something to me, I try to say, like, explain it to me because I don't know. Like I saw EP, someone tweeted me something. Yeah, it was, I think it was like EPA. I discussed yeah. EPA. Yeah. Yeah. And it was EPA. And I, I was genuine. I said, I got no idea. Tell me what this means. Yeah. You know, it was also during my time where I'm like very sarcastic. So I think people didn't know if he was being genuine, but like, dude, I have no idea what EPA means. Like well, people, I've played quarterback for a long time. I got no idea what it means. <laughs> And, and this this time of year with draft season, people start to do that with prospects. Is they they'll start to be like, "Oh, what do you think of so and so?" And it's like, "Dude, if I haven't watched him, I'm not going to comment on him." Just yeah. For the same reason, it's like, "Dude, I haven't watched him myself. Like, I'm not going to tell you what I think based on what somebody else said." Um. Yeah. One one question I do really want to kind of I have to ask you about just because yep. this is the number one question that came up when I was watching your your last breakdown is yeah. uh accuracy just because. Yep. Drew Locke's accuracy, basically dating back to Mizzou, has not been great. And that yeah. was one of the biggest reasons why, when he was coming out, why I was actually so cool on him. And some of it yeah. was tied to, I think, his footwork. Some of it was tied to decision-making. Some of it was just tied to 
just a bunch of different stuff. But but how like how much do you think that can improve? I guess based on yeah. going forward, because that's that's my so biggest I, concern actually going forward. Yeah, and it's valid. So I, I I categorize accuracy two ways when we're training a guy. Is it just so category one I, we kind of view as untrainable? We talk about it as coaches, it's untrainable. The guy just even when he's aligned misses, right? He just he just misses, right? Like he's just the guy who. You know, he's Shaq. You can't figure out why he's missing free throws, but God, he's missing. <laughs> and then the controllable accuracy. The reason I think Drew could fix it is because everything I see is tied to his feet. That has a huge caveat of he has to be willing to work on that, mm-hmm. right? He has to be willing to say, I'm going to put my left foot back and I'm going to grind at this. Biomechanically, he's sound. When you see his body aligned, he's accurate. So for me, that's the two categories I kind of view it in. And I, I'm trying to do the same thing with the prospects like Trey Lance. Is he inaccurate? You know, let's, let's, let's look at a sample size of his body aligned. And then is, is he just missing, right? There's some wheel routes that he sometimes misses while he's still aligned. That to me is more worrisome than say maybe drew where it's like, I would view nine, I would view 80% of any PBUs against him as a being late because of his feet. And I, and again, now I don't know the stats on what that would jump him to. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would be very brutally honest in saying that if he doesn't get above 60% next season, that's another production thing that you have to move on from. Mm -hmm. Because to me, 60% is kind of that floor of, it's the same thing we talk about height, right? Like I know there's guys that have succeeded, but usually six, two is the floor, Mm -hmm. right? Hey, you gotta be at least that. But if you're six, seven, it has no difference between if you're six, three, right? Like nobody cares but you got to be six, two, or they shouldn't care. But Paxton's here, you know, we had Paxton, but uh, you know, so that to me is where it's like, I, I, I would say, I feel like Drew is in the highly trainable just because I, what I've seen a lot of where it's like, that should have been a completion, but it was a pass breakup. Well, it's because he, he reset instead of threw off a plant. Like to me, those are things that it's like, to me, it comes out as accuracy in the completion percentage. But to me, I view it as something that it's like, oh, I can project that as getting better. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think maybe we all kind of, me included, maybe kind of missed on Josh Allen, right? Was how much of his stuff were misses that were trainable versus Jamarcus Mus- Russell misses, mm-hmm. right? Where the guy's aligned, he just, man, he just missed me, right? Like those are kind of the two categories. And and right now, based on what I'm seeing, it feels like a lot of it's trainable. But again, Joe, there's a huge caveat. Drew might come out next year, week one, with his right foot back, and I'll be the first person to say, I'm out. It's done. Right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what he's going to – you know, I heard a report he's going to go work with Jordan Palmer. I, I think Jordan did a great job with, with Josh Allen, and maybe they have something. I just like – and I, I don't want to go on a tangent about right foot back, but like they're just not a quarterback who hasn't, you know – played at least five seasons who has any success with right foot back. It's the dumbest thing. Nick Mullins, Jimmy Garoppolo, the list goes on and on. It looks cool. And I remember playing quarterback in college. And if you go back and watch my senior tape, I have my right foot back. You know why? It looked cool. But I also didn't have coaches who looked me in the eye and said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And if if Drew wants to come trade with Jenkins Lee, that's the first thing he's going to hear. I don't care how you look, right? Because Everybody knows if you turn into an all pro, you look cool no matter what. It's true. <laughs> I mean, ask, ask Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was a really cool guy in Silicon Valley. He wore a stupid turtleneck his whole life. 
right? <laughs> so to me, it's like people, you know, you care about looking cool if you're not good. And if, if you're really good, you can dress like Adam Sandler and everyone still laughs at your stuff, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. And for and quickly for our, for our listeners, because if, if you haven't seen Tim's videos where he's talked a ton about, you know, right foot back versus left foot back, is that something that Drew Locke started in college? Was that something I mean, it's that... On his, yeah, it's on his Mizzou tape. Um, and someone sent me an article of, I think it was uh, Scangarillo. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Scangarillo. So it was him. He talked about it last year. And he's like, we do something a little different. And he was real proud of it. But he's, it's because he's from that San Francisco tree. You know? So, you know, and a lot of people point to, well, you know, Matt Ryan did it with Kyle Shanahan. And he was really successful. Yeah, Matt Ryan was also in what year ten? Yeah. So well, you know, it's like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers does it, but Aaron Rodgers did do it years one through eight. So we're talking about two different people. Put Peyton, you know, I, I say this all the time: blindfold Aaron Rodgers, turn him around, and have him rip the blindfold off, turn around, catch the snap. Guess what? He's still going to be a good quarterback. Like just like. You know, I could be as creative as I want. I could start a new thing with Aaron Rodgers where we're going to take our snaps with our hands crossed. And he's still going to be good, <laughs> right? It's not doesn't make me innovative. It just makes me different. So that's where I have the issue with the right foot back thing with Drew. So that actually brings up another question I had for you is – because you, you mentioned before that uh, last year – Scangarello was running a lot of stuff that he was doing at Mizzou, and I know, and I know the Shermer offense definitely wasn't doing as much of it. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that was a mistake? Do you think that, like, what, like, how would, like, I guess the question is, get, I guess, how would you kind of evaluate Pat Shermer as an offensive yeah. coordinator this year? And do you think he met Drew enough, like, kind of in the middle, or yeah. like that kind of thing? Because I know the That's first a great year, question. The first time I ever actually listened to you talk, you were you were predicting that by the end of the year. Drew would basically be running the Shermer offense. And even then I was wondering, should he have to be running the Shermer offense or should Shermer be coming to him and helping him be the best version of himself? And, and I, I don't know the answer. That's, that's why. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great question. I think it just comes down to kind of what you believe in. Honestly, if I was an offensive coordinator, I would be doing what Pat Shermer is doing. Here's okay. my system. Here's what I know successful in the NFL. You're going to struggle early and we're going to get you good. And I, I think there's a lot of guys I, I I really wish Alex Smith wouldn't have been in Kansas City because Patrick Mahomes in year one with Andy Reid would have looked drastically different than Patty Mahomes a year later, right? So to me, those are all the things. I think he's doing it correctly. I think where he didn't meet Drew enough was what I talk about. I talk about it as P and 10, mm -hmm. right? It's the first, first down. So possession and 10. You always want to get your feet moving forward with a quarterback completion. We do a horrible job with that. We usually run the ball and then we take a shot. That's just terrible. I don't like that kind of play yeah. calling. Yeah. Eventually we got, yeah, eventually we got to boot, which is fine as a drive starter. I just want to get, I want to see a completion. I want to get my feet moving forward. That's powerful. You know, being in a huddle, that's, there's nothing like it. We're walking forward, second and four. I don't care what it is. Let's go. So that's where I don't think he met him enough. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I think it'd be an interesting case study of guys that have come in and we've simplified things for them and their success and what that does for them long-term. You know, like, you know, Tom Brady, it's not like they were slowing anything down, right? They had Drew Bledsoe. It was, hey, come on, catch up, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's something to be said about throwing the whole thing at these guys um, versus kind of the patchwork. I do think it's, you know, it's obviously indicative of success to like maybe talk to your quarterback and say, 
especially when you're so young. The Broncos are so young, so nobody knows. It doesn't matter. When you're so young, it's, it'd be nice to talk to your quarterback and say, hey, man, I call this F-ship. What have you called it? Oh, okay, yeah, we can adapt that. Or, you know, hey, we're not going to be able to adapt that. Those would be the conversations that I would have. And I'd be willing to bet that Pat Shermer didn't have any of those at all. I think he came in and said, this is what we run. This is how I coach it. Um, you know, sink or swim. And unfortunately, I think Drew was working on some other stuff biomechanically this last offseason versus like tying my feet to these progressions. And I think that's where we saw those errors. Yeah, it's kind of that. Um, I think you make a good point in terms of what you're setting the guy up for long term. And we've talked about that on this show is it's really that conundrum of player development, particularly at QB is how much do you do what the guy's comfortable with? If they're only comfortable with what you know, you mentioned it earlier, nine concepts and yeah. you, you can't, you can't build a long-term offense with that. And so at some point you got to take the training wheels off. And so, you know, it's going to be bumpy while you're doing that. So at what point are you taking the training wheels yeah. off? And I think that's the, that's kind of the the big question is when do you do that and how much and all of that. There's a, there's a talent threshold too with that, right? In terms of like Cam Newton can make those nine concepts survivable and even make a Super Bowl run. But you're also talking about a guy who like literally is probably the best goal line back in football, right? And he just happens to play quarterback. You know, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens on offense – are pretty simple. They're intricate in the run game, but they're pretty simple pass-wise. Well, Lamar's a little different, right? Lamar's probably the fastest human on a football field every time he steps on it. So, you know, there's talent that can overcome the simplicity, but I also think, I do think it compromises the guy long-term. I think we're seeing a lot of guys, fruits of their labor, you know, Deshaun Watson, they, I don't think that was ever really simplified for him. And I think he's, I think he's a tremendous quarterback now. You know, obviously Mahomes, I don't think it was ever simplified for him. Shoot, Derek Carr, it was never simplified for him. And love him or hate him, Derek Carr's a dang good quarterback, right? Derek Carr, you might not consider him in the Aaron Rodgers of I could carry a bad team, but you give that dude a good roster and they'll be fine. Like he ain't going to lose your ball game. So there's, you know, and then there's all those, there's that different, that's a different discussion of, well, what do you need to win a Super Bowl? versus you know what do we have and then how do you navigate that i'm a huge believer in that there's usually generally in the nfl two to three guys that are a cut above of everybody yep right I, every uh, single and then there's this next group of good quarterbacks but week to week it changes like there was a there were weeks that i thought i would have put dak prescott at the front of that group early on right definitely but no one would be like hey i know dak Dak is a top 10 no matter what, right? People aren't saying that right now. So there's this other echelon that's so interchangeable. And then there's the, what I would call development group where it's like, okay, they can pop up into this group, but right now they're not really in contention with these guys. That's what I think the NFL is made up of. Too many people are just recency bias and say, unless you have Patrick Mahomes, you can't win a Super Bowl. Just untrue. We won a, we won a Super Bowl, super average quarterback play. The team that they were playing, Jimmy Garoppolo, if he hits a deep post, they win the Super Bowl. So Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't playing at an all-pro level that year. I, I just think we, you know, think about Tom Brady's year years one through three. Did he, I mean, I'm pretty they're, sure he, they were, they were he winning with him. They were winning with him, not because of him. Uh, yeah, when, when, I when, think that's a different conversation of oh, no, you know, I, what do you need to win. 
I, oh, and I agree. I uh, I took a scouting class a couple of years back with uh, Dan Hatman, who yeah, awesome. You know, I, I like him a lot. But one of the things that really opened my eyes is this idea of from a grading scale, you kind of think of guys as you win because of them, you win with them, you can win despite them, or you can't win with them. And I and yeah. I try, ever since then, I've tried to look at quarterbacks that way because I think, like you said, the conversation with Mahomes, probably Watson, and then Rodgers is these guys are going to win basically as long as the roster is not a dumpster fire. Yeah. Everyone else, they need help. And then yeah. they can win, but they're not the only reason their team is winning. Yep. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you're dead on. I, and I, but I just think we get so, we just get the recency bias. It's the same thing that happened when Fields beat Trevor Lawrence, right? Yep. He's QB1. It just, we get the recency bias and then we lose our minds. And It's the Twitter and, stuff. The, 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 yeah. There's no nuance. There's not, there's not that room for... No. The actual discussion. And like, listen, you know, it, it is true that the access to people's opinions is going to make it harder on quarterback and sticking to your guy. I really, I, I, and I, and again, I'm not saying Drew Locke is this or Tua is this or anybody, but people would have ran Peyton Manning out of Indianapolis had they had Twitter. <laughs> like, that's just what happens. We think, and and I also really like it, like, and it's probably because of my background, right. Of, of like being very terrible in the NFL and then getting cut is like, I, I hate when people are like, this guy sucks, dude. He is a starting quarterback in the national football league. Yeah. He does not suck. He is struggling. Why is he struggling? Okay. But like, I heard Mike McCarthy go off about it when some Packers reporter asked him about like, some guy that they cut who was like the 88th guy. And he's like, the notion that you think that this kid is a bad football player blows my mind. He's like, he's not making the team because it, it was a tight end at the time. They had Jermichael, Jermichael Finley, I think, and all these other guys. He's like, that's why he's not making our team. Like, we're not talking about a kid we picked up for fun. We thought he could play, like the dude could play in the NFL. It just like, that also kind of grinds me the wrong way. Cause it's like, we have people who on Twitter, it's like, this guy sucks. It's like, okay, well, that's a great analysis. Why do you think that? Like, what are you seeing other than the box score and like the somewhat anti-sober third quarter you saw, you know, like, like what happened? So that's what I, I struggle with, but you're dead on. There are guys that are just superstars, you know, and then there are kind of the other guys that are serviceable, but I think anyone in the serviceable category, you can win with them. Jared Goff was in a Super Bowl. Almost beat Tom Brady, right? It's, like it's the margin of error that they give you is what you're going for. I think is when you have a Jared Goff, it, it's it's enough competency that you can build the rest of the roster around it. And then I think the problem, and again, this is getting off the track, but like from there, it's like how much do you pay that guy because of how much yeah. he takes away from the pie from everyone else? Yeah. Because that starts to be right. a, become a thing. Yeah. Uh, and you're gonna pay him. Unfortunately, and, well, yeah, you're gonna and, pay him a lot. That's just well, quarterbacks. <laughs> Well, that, and I think a Jared Goff is a good way to keep, if, you, if you're a coach and you're a general manager, a guy like a Jared Goff, he's a, he's a good enough quarterback that he's not going to embarrass you and get you fired unless everything goes wrong. 
and yep. everybody operates of I'm in the NFL. I want to stay in the NFL. So like, that's a yeah. part of it. Um, one, one question I have for you because of car, cause I, car specifically has been a comparison for lock for a long time now. Yeah. Uh, car is one player. And this is, I think one of the reasons why people have a lot of the meme stuff about him. Cause I've, I've made memes about this. Cause I, I shit post too much. Like I, I know I shit post too much. <laughs> I just, sometimes it's just fun to, to shit post. It's just funny and yeah. I shouldn't do it. But, but Derek Carr, <laughs> the big thing with Derek Carr in my mind is always, he crumbles under pressure. If you really rattle him, you can tell you rattle them. And that's one of those things like with Va- when Br- the Broncos have had Vaughn Miller, that was always a thing. Um, you've mentioned that lot. One of the biggest consistent issues with Locke is the scramble drill. Yeah. How, and I know part of that's the receivers, but how much do you think he can improve at that part? Like him himself? The, the biggest thing he can improve is not compounding a mistake in scramble drill. Cause that's where I saw the majority of his interceptions come from was I, you know, yeah, right. It's either scramble drill and, or like, you know, like something went wrong, right. It's a fire drill, right. Yeah. Either got a gap fire or whatever. Um, that's the biggest thing he can improve from like a getting out of the pocket and maneuvering standpoint. He does a great job. He does a terrible job with J step. I talk a lot about, which is getting your back inseam towards your target on your last step. It's the same yeah. reason Aaron Rodgers always jumps. And Chris Collinsworth loves to tell the story. Hey, it's because he talked to Brett and Brett told him to do that. And it's like, I guarantee Aaron Rodgers makes fun of how much Collinsworth tells that story. Like, <laughs> that's not true. It's just biomechanically, if you throw your inseam on the run, you will leave the ground. Like, no matter who does it. My four-year-old could do it. He would leave the ground. Like, you just have to. So I don't I don't know why. I just, it's a whole different thing. But I think he could improve that. But I honestly think the biggest thing is the compounding of decisions, which like, listen, he started just throwing the ball in the dirt, which... I would tweet about jokingly, like, oh, that should make everybody happy. But it really should, right? That's the next step of – that's the difference between Aaron Rodgers and him right now in scramble drill. We're talking about the best guy and the worst uh, – not the worst guy, but right middle of the pack when it comes – I would assume he's middle of the pack when it comes to scramble because, like, Phillip can't leave the pocket, right? So – I would have to look. Yeah. I'm not sure. But I I, yeah. Yeah, I would assume he's better than guys like Rivers, stuff like that. Yeah. I just mean, like, in general of, like, being able yeah. to create oh, – yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think Aaron Rodgers is the best. He's not the most athletic, but I think he's the best at creating, followed closely behind by like maybe Russell. But Russell's kind of not been doing that as much lately. Anyways, the difference is these guys, when they're in scramble drill and Devontae Adams doesn't break open, they just throw it away. Mm-hmm. Drew has been trying to force things back across his body. The worst thing for him week one was, you guys remember his touchdown week one? He's spraying to the sideline. He throws across his body a great ball for a touchdown. That's the worst thing to happen to him because of positive reinforcement, right? It's a result it's a, of a it's process. The same, yeah, it's the same thing your buddy went through, right? He would go and say something really rude to a girl at the bar, and she would like it. It's the worst thing to ever happen to him, right? Because now he thinks people like that, and then he turns into a real jerk the rest of his life, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I think it was, you know, that's where I would tell you I think he could really improve in the scramble situation is just that general decision-making and then mechanically would be the J step. I always laugh about the Peyton Manning story when he was, I think it was the 2013 record breaking year and he, he was mic'd up and it was one of those like across his body and he chucks it back to Welker. And like afterwards they're celebrating. He was like, you know, they always say don't do that. But after 20 years in the league, I figured yeah. <laughs> it, I'll give it a try. <laughs> you know, like, listen, there's something to be said about how, these quarterbacks nowadays can manipulate their arm angle and all this stuff. Yeah. It's still going to lead you into some different decision-making. Like, listen, that's probably one of the things Josh Allen struggles with right now is he is so talented, 
that he thinks I'm going to make this throw. The same thing with Brett Favre. Why did Brett Favre throw so many interceptions? Because, you know, his knuckles hung on the ground, right, as he walked. Like, he he just believed in what he was doing, man. And and that's also why he was so great. So it's such a fine line. And that's where it's like with Drew, you got to be careful how you coach that, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, you don't. Well, that's, that's why you draft him. You draft him for the arm talent. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, I, I don't really have a good term for it. You don't want to neuter him, right? That's what we talk about quarterbacks, right? You don't want to take it all away, but you have to, we got to control it. We got to get it in the right direction. Uh, we talk about it with our quarterbacks all the time internally is listen, man, there's a time that we want you to hunt and that's 85% of the time, but there's also 15% that we just got to realize that if we end this drive in a kick, it's going to be better. Whether that be a PAT a field goal or a punt, it's better than the alternative. So um, that's something that he's going to have to navigate this next year. And that's part of, you know, back to that first question, what we want to see, right? I want to see him as a 25 and 10 guy. And I want to see of those 10, three of them being poor decisions and seven of them being hunting, right? He threw a 50-50 ball to Cortland, whatever it be. Like that pick he threw against New England where the DB dives and makes a pick on a stick at eight post. Throw seven of those. Yep. Those are fine. And honestly, so, if it's comeback game, like uh, this is a thing that box score scouts really get get caught on. That I that I this is one of those places where I separate from uh, from the the stat stuff. Is I don't give a shit about an interception if the guy is in comeback mode. They're down ten points and he needs to make those throws. Yeah, like you or need like to make the, those throws. Or like the hail mary. I, I can't remember when Drew threw one. Yep, yep. But it was like a hail mary. It, may, it was a Charger game, maybe. But it's like, oh great, like you know. Because then people see one touchdown, two picks, and it's like there's so much more to this. Yep. And that's what is, you know, and that's what you're you're alluding to, which is which is where the stats are. That and that's where so my thing with the analytics, mm-hmm. the thing I struggle with the analytics, and I I, I I heard it first in like a political show, but right, bad data going in doesn't help anything. I agree. And that's where I think it'd be interesting, like you're saying, like, hey, let's peel away some of these. Yep. Right? Like Hey, okay. Hey, hail Mary interceptions. Let's peel those out. Right. And then let's start throwing the data in. Uh, but listen, I saw some stat where it was like, even drops factored in to completion percentage. She still wasn't that great. Yep. So it's something that you got to be honest about and something that you got to be able to assess and see, Hey, is it still fixable? And, and then look at it next year and say, listen, he didn't, if you know, there's the whole football character side of it too. Right. If, if he doesn't spend this off season grinding and working at that, that and that's a lot. That, Right. And it, and it's, yep. And that's, you know, I said it about the ceiling thing today. Right. Cause I, I was seeing, I, I can't remember. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah. I know, I know, I mentioned, about, I know I mentioned Justin Fields and Drew Locke. Cause I think the discussion, I think that th- this is based on what I've seen. I think the discussion between them, and I've, and I've only watched four games of Fields so far, but I just thought about this while I was watching Fields. So I was watching Fields against Indiana and he was pretty yep. rough in Indy against Indiana. I thought he had a really rough game. Uh, but, but the question I think with fields and lock, if you really, if fields falls in the draft and you're trying to have that discussion, should we take fields versus go with lock? The discussion comes down to ceiling because I think Fields' legs open up a dimension that if you can develop him, it might open up something that you don't necessarily yeah. have a lock. Cause I don't think lock is that kind of athlete. Not yeah. to say, I don't think he's a good, I don't think, I think locks, I think locks ceiling ideally gets to something sort of similar to like what I think Matt Stafford could be. And again, that's like a pie in the sky if everything goes right. Cause I think he has the same kind of arm talent, but 
But yeah. Stafford's not a runner. Like you don't want Stafford running zone read. Like that's that's a mistake. I think if if you have Fields, Fields you could do that. And that's yeah. where I was at with it. And again, like Twitter yeah. is the death of nuance. And I knew that I hadn't watched enough Fields to get into that discussion. I just thought it as I said it, and I decided to tweet it. Yeah. But, well, but that's, I, that's where I think the ceiling discussion is for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I think Jeremiah was talking about Trey Lance. Okay. Because that's the only thing that would like trigger me. People, Trey people, Lance stuff. people love Trey Lance right now. They love him. They love him. And the GM's going to get fired. I'm but, afraid of him. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm afraid of him. Uh, but they, they were just talking about his ceiling's tremendous. And I just had this like random thought in my head of like, okay. So one, what makes up a ceiling? And I'm of course in my office with surrounded by really good quarterback coaches. So I get to like have these discussions, which is fun. That sounds right. Yeah, and, we, awesome. and we actually have a, it's the guy who's been walking around the background. His name's Isaac Harker. He's up at the CFL and he's staying with us training. He stays in my house, but he's training. And then he interns with us. So he's in the room and we're all talking. Um, and I was like, what do you guys think makes up a ceiling? And then we were talking about like, okay, well then what goes into him achieving the ceiling? And that's where the football IQ work ethic. And then I was like, but can a guy overachieve his ceiling? Yes. And they were like, oh, yeah, Tom Brady, Drew yep. Brees. Yep. And it's like, so then is a ceiling a real thing? Like if a guy can overachieve it, does it exist? Right? So it's like that to me is where like the, you know, and you alluded to it, where it's like those kind of things, and I don't want to say they're broken, but what you dove into after was way better. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Hey, no, arm ability gifts, mobility, all this stuff. And it just makes me so mad because guys like Daniel Jeremiah will get on and say, Trey Lance's ceiling is Andrew Luck. What does that mean? Andrew Luck couldn't have been – Andrew Luck to me, when I watch him, is the best prospect to ever come out. Agreed. From a refined pro standpoint. Agreed. So when you put him and Trey Lance in the same sentence, it's, you are therefore making – you guys remember the Billy Madison – the Billy Madison quote where he's like, you know where Rat made a rational point. Everyone is now dumber for having listened to you. That's what I equate some of these comparisons to is it's like, this is a waste of time. I, and again, you didn't go through draft season last year. So this is everyone, yeah. gets, <laughs> no, everyone gets into comp season. This is just a thing. And it's going to yeah. drive you insane because a lot of these comps don't make sense. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is just, it's an easy way to say, oh, this guy reminds me of this guy. But it, yeah. it, but it, but it's so disin it it misses all of the parts to what what you actually meant, and that that's one yeah. of the reasons why I try not to do it. Um, yeah. But that actually reminds me of a thing that I because we're going to probably get into this a little bit because I know you're doing draft breakdowns now. Yep. And I know yeah, we might I have to do it on another show because we got to let we got to no, let yeah. Tim yep. go. And through. I, and I, yeah. And I don't want <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to keep you. I forever. can go for four hours. It's just a matter of your listeners will listen. I don't know your guys' analytics. <laughs> I have no idea. Um. But my, my whole thing is, uh, I know that you're still working on it. And again, I would love to have you on kind of once you've actually gone through it all, because I'd love to pick your brain on what you think of the prospects once yeah. you've had the time to really do the study of them. But but I, I just, seeing the stuff you said about some of the prospects, I just had to kind of like, I want to get a better idea of what you meant. Because again, yeah. I know that Twitter is kind of the death of nuance. Yeah. Um, so one comp that I saw you make was Mac Jones. You said you he reminded you of Philip Rivers. And yeah. I just wanted to kind of get, what what do you mean by that? Because when I see Mac Jones, it's hard for me to look past all the RPO and the fact that yeah. like his offense, like he has a pro offense in college football. Yeah. So what I, what I, what I meant by that, and this is, was a, it's a, it's an Uber unathletic guy with relative arm talent who has had massive success, right? That's how I view Phillip Rivers. I view Phillip Rivers as 
I get that he went number four, but like, don't sit here and sell me that he's in the upper echelon on arm talent, right? Yeah, definitely not. I don't think he is, but there's something about it that made him uber successful. The drastic difference in Mac Jones and Philip Rivers is personality, right? Like, I'm going to tell you right now, my favorite thing about Mac Jones is that I don't know if I've ever seen him smile. I actually love that. <laughs> I also don't know if I've ever seen him like down. He just like sits there. So, yeah, the biggest the biggest issue we're going to have comparing Mac or evaluating Mac Jones, I can already see it when I watch his tape. The biggest issue I'm going to have comparing Mac Jones is his personnel compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. My caveat is it's absolute horse malarkey, doggone it, as Philip Rivers would say, to hold that against him and then evaluate Trey Lance yeah. and as if Trey Lance has a power five. Trey Lance doesn't have a group of five team. Trey Lance has a power five football team does. playing FCS. So, so that's where I actually talk about my scouting report. I say, listen, his level of competition is concerning. And everyone's going to read that as if it's I'm talking FCS. I don't care what level you play. If uh, As a D2 guy who went to the NFL, the windows are the same. You know why? Because my receiver in the slot who is running option is now a lawyer and cannot run at all. <laughs> the window was still small, right? It just yeah. is now faster in the NFL. So if you're a real FCS kid on a real FCS team playing other FCS teams, it's fine. I can compare. The issue is Trey Lance has a power five team, and that's where Mac Jones is going to be a hard eval too. I just think – when I was what, what I meant by that was just what I said, where he's I don't think he's mobile. I don't think he has a great arm, but boy, has he been uber successful. And I do think the the few games that I've the few clips that I've had broken up so far on Mac, I've seen more tight windows throws than he gets credit for because we all see the highlights. Yeah. I, too, thought he was just a hit Devonte Smith wide open on a corner or a post. There's some throws in the – I want to say it was the Georgia game where he hits a deep over, safety's driving down, nickel's trailing perfectly, and the deep over's there. To me, that's something that I would say, okay, that translates really well. Um, and that's where I was – and, again, remember I prefaced the tweet. I said, I hate NFL comps in all caps. Yeah. But this – it's just what, kind of what I was seeing that night with him. No, and, not. like, everyone, everyone hates the – I don't want to say hates the kid, but we're evaluating – I just – my, my fear with Matt Jones is I I see the arm talent and I see the lack of athleticism and I wouldn't want the Broncos to take him in the high first round. By oh, yeah. That would terrify. No, I saw, I saw that you said that. You, you, yeah. I think in another tweet you said, I would invite Justin Fields and Mac Jones like into the building and then I would not touch them at nine. And I think yeah. that's fair. Cause, cause Jones, I think Mac Jones at nine, uh, somebody else, I think it was DNVR Zach Stevens said, He's a top 10 quarterback. I would not draft yeah. Mac Jones in the top 10. No, I would. T- but this is a deeper conversation of there's very few guys. I I think if you're grading quarterbacks, honestly, yeah. there's very few top five, top 10 guys. We I just agree. don't. I we agree. run them off the board. The positional value. Uh, but it's I, – I, Joe, I don't think it is. I, I okay. honestly – here's my, here's my hypothesis on it. We do it every year. There's always two to three franchise quarterbacks. And we do it every year of the next year's class sucks. The only time that we say the next year's class good is if we have a guy like Sam Darnold or Trevor Lawrence who we can already foresee. Mm-hmm. But we do this every year. We did it with Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Both of them, I remember, I'm sitting there. Both of them are can't miss. Both of it, you know, hey, it's flip a coin. Neither of these guys we're going to miss on. I remember that. Right. We're sitting in 2021. 
one guy we view as serviceable, the other guy's trying to get run out of the city of brotherly love. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, but again, I do think we just, we, we kind of do this to ourselves every year. Um, and I get why, right? Because if you don't have a court, it, you know, it's the same well, thing. You don't have a girlfriend. girlfriend. You want a girlfriend. You, you finally get a girlfriend and she she's not that great. Then you want a new girlfriend, right? Like it's, you know, we've all been there, right? I'm lucky. I found the love of my life and she basically like beat sense into me. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think we do it with quarterbacks, but I wouldn't touch Mac Jones at, at nine where the Broncos are picking. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think uh, he's not as bad as some people are trying to make him out to. My bigger thing, my bigger issue with it is the same people that love Trey Lance and think he should be in contention for QB2. Talk about Mac Jones and the talent around him. It's like that's just the most intellectually dishonest, I love this prospect way of evaluating. It just, to me, Trey Lance is surrounded. If you were to compare what Trey Lance has at North Dakota State compared to level of competition with what Mac Jones has at Alabama compared to competition, I would honestly tell you, and I, I, I no bias, Trey Lance's is better. I think it's 100% better than what Mac Jones, because even though Mac Jones is surrounded by first-round picks, a lot of those SEC guys that he's playing against are first-round picks. Yep. Trey Lance is surrounded by a lot of dudes that could go play anywhere in the country, and they're going and playing against guys that like – Oh yeah, and again, I'm not trying to be a jerk. No, they're no, still division I, players, but they're just not NFL guys like North Dakota State has. No, I I totally understand what you mean because I worked as a film guy, uh, like a filmer, and then eventually, like kind of like I I was essentially an intern that did all the video coordinators' job at one point at a D two <laughs> school. Um, and so like at one point, our D two school was pretty bad, and we ran into uh, at that point it was Ferris State, and Ferris State okay, a yeah. years ago was just insane in terms of talent level compared to everyone else in the league. And it's, it's definitely a thing like, uh, oh crap. I can't remember what his name is. There's a tight end that the bears draft in the second round. We had to play against him. No one can cover him. Like anybody can make a throw to that guy. If no one can cover him. Yeah. And there's a difference with that, right? Where it's like, no, what we actually don't have the personnel to cover him. And then watching Smith break off round DB because he has great technique, right? Like those to me are the differences. But again, we're t- talking about two guys that the talent around him is so much better. And you have to factor that in, right? But I also think like it, it was me and you were kind of me and you had, you had, you had talked we had talked about it a little bit of you know, hey, you want to see the trends and then me and you talked and we were like, yeah, there's a bunch of nuance there though because Ohio State, how many games do they win in the Big 10 walking off the bus? Well, and that's that's my fear with Justin Fields too is cuz I'm watching Indiana and he feels again. I haven't watched Northwestern yet, but Indiana from the four games I've watched, and I'm trying to watch him in order to see how his progression over yeah. the, of the season. That was a rough game for him. Like, yeah. and they still won. I think they won by forty. Like they they blew yeah. him out. So it, it gets to a point where it's like Ohio State can win without a quarterback. Like at this point, yeah. as long as the quarterback is serviceable, they're going to win a game against most of the teams they play. And that and that's you know and that's probably what then would make. In theory, Zach Wilson's eval rise, right? Mm-hmm. A guy like Wilson, because I would speculate that he's surrounded by very Closer. similar talent. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where all these shake out. I'm going to try to uh, – my goal is I want to try to evaluate 10 to 15 of these guys. And then I want to actually come out with a ranking and just see where it comes down. I have a feeling it's going to be a little bit different than most. 
Um, well, one thing I want to ask you about, because I know you looked at Lance, and I know you've seen a little bit of Mac Jones. I don't know if you watched yeah. it yet. I know one of the big critiques you've had for Fields, and I, and I was going to ask you about this, I guess, once you see more of him, is that you don't think that he's necessarily a clean fit into like Shermer's offense, because that's yeah, a big yeah. thing I look. That's a big thing I look for when I try to watch guys. Do I do, like Jerry Judy last year? I love Jerry Judy because Jerry Judy looked like a clean fit into Shermer's offense. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a, it was a glove, you know, a hand and glove type of fit. Yeah. And I see the same thing with Fields. Is I I feel like Shermer would have to either meet him a little bit, or they're going to have yeah. to bend some of the offense to him. Do you see? Do you see like a Mac Jones? A Trey Lance, I feel like is probably going to be a similar story. Do you see Mac Jones as like a, a sort of fit if the Mac Jones fits? Cool. And Mac Jones fits, and it's and it's out of sheer luck that Nick Saban is now the Nick Saban, you know, rehabilitation center for coaches. Because what happens is you're a bad coach, you come to him, and then you get his blessing, and you're a head coach. Mm-hmm. And he just happens to get Steve Sarkeesian. And who was the OC before him? Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Yep. Two guys that just run NFL stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you could turn on the national championship game and you're going to see the circus route. They run with Jerry Judy all the time. You'll see the deep over. You'll see the stick at eight. You'll see some other creative stuff that's college right? That's not going to translate, but you'll see, you'll see all the stuff that is going to translate to 75% of the NFL. And that's why I think people that are watching, I think are underrating where I think Mac ends up. Not because I would touch him that high, but because when guys watch tape, I can only, you know, speculate. But if I'm an NFL OC watching tape, I like to see things that I know come to my offense. Oh, definitely. I don't like to see stuff that's like, like there's stuff that I see. Yeah. Yeah. There's stuff that I honestly see watching college stuff. And I think to myself, why would you run that? Yeah. But I guess I, I I also don't have the background of well this guy runs a four two and the guy against him is always going to run a four six he's just better like I don't believe in building an offense like that right because in the NFL you never have that you have certain mm-hmm. matchups with Calvin Johnson right but by the most part you got to scheme it open so mm-hmm. those are you know it's an interesting thing to dive into but I do see Mac is probably a better fit in Shermer's system. Um, you know, but listen, I think Justin Fields is probably a kid that if you were to if you were to treat him like the Cardinals treated Murray, mm-hmm. man, you could probably have something early. That's now, what again, I'm- like we already talked about, where does he end up long term if you morph it early? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not smart enough to tell you because I, I haven't really done a real study on hey, guys that the drop variability was simplified early and then never ratcheted up where did their careers end up? I, I mean, I think it'd be an interesting thing to actually study and maybe, I don't know who, what is that PFF that has I'd all the, it, the great- if PFF ever hires me. I'll, I'll let you know. Seth Galina got hired by PFF and the first day he started just dropping all these random stats. Cause he was just having fun with it. I would abuse the heck out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll have to pick this back up um, for sure. Have you back on, Tim, once you get through the um, all the different prospects and we get deeper into draft Definitely. season, and particularly as we get a feel for what the Broncos' new GM, um, you know, I doubt they'll tip their hand fully, but we may get a feel for if they start bringing in guys for visits and all of that. I do have one question for you before we, before yep. we wrap up um and do want to thank you for your time thanks so much for yeah, coming on awesome. this, was, this is so much fun so much fun I, I think i hope our um listeners enjoyed it i think um, i learned a ton I, I hope they'll learn a ton as well and um 
for sure want to have you back to talk to these prospects. But speaking of GM, you know, it's on everybody's mind. The um, Broncos just hired um, Peyton from um, the Minnesota Vikings. If you're him walking in on day one, what do you do in the offense for the Broncos in 2021? It's such a hard question. Yeah, it's such a hard question because that's, you know, man, to make the – I mean, if I'm GM, I'm walking in there and I'm calling out a Pat Shermer. I'm saying change Drew's footwork, right? Put his left foot back. Um, I mean, I don't think George will do that. Um, you know, honestly, I'm going to take it a different direction of if I was offensive coordinator, the number one thing I would do all offseason is work at one personnel, which is no backs, one tight end. And I would literally – get KJ Hamler so familiar with the running back position. And I would start an empty oh, with Noah fan attached. And I would have, right. I'd have Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, same side, Tim Patrick outside KJ Hamler. And I'd motion KJ into the backfield and you would give D coordinators nightmares because they would have to be in dime or quarter, which is either 60 B's or, or 70 B's. And if you could teach KJ Hamler to somewhat stay on the right run track, you could be in that personnel 10 times a game and D coordinators would spend 50 to 60% of their week on it. Uh, and I just think you completely, I, I think you would legitimately change, uh, you know, how people prep for you. And I, I, I think it would be, we would be the most explosive offense in football. I don't know how you would defend that realistically, especially with knowing that Noah fan can detach and basically just stand up and be a fifth wide receiver. Um, I think it'd be fascinating to see. And I, I, you know, I think KJ is the kind of kid that is quick enough and has enough lateral quickness that he could play back, right? You keep him on the outside, outside zone, stuff like that. Um, but man, I think that'd be special. Think about having Cortland and Jerry on the same to, side. As soon as you started to say it, I knew where you were going. It was that's music to my ears. Pat's listening. <laughs> well, I'm convinced he was watching one of the breakdowns after they put in uh F ship Oki twist and I told him to, so. I'm just going with that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, thank thank you so much for your time, Tim. Um, and be sure to follow him on Twitter um, at. Let me make sure. Let me pull up my notes and make sure I get your or give us give us your Twitter handle. I've got it written down somewhere. Uh, T Jenkins Elite. But you could just search Tim Jenkins and I'll pop up somewhere, and you could just tweet insults at me. It's fun. There we go. Find <laughs> him on Twitter. Find him on YouTube and hit, um, check out his breakdowns. Tim, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It was a blast.